Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. Been talking about trials, falling into trials, testing. Today we're going to talk about temptation, and there's a difference between testing and temptation. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12, chapter 1 of the book of James. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I heard a story about a man and woman that were on a business trip together. It was one that required them traveling, and they were traveling on a transcontinental train overnight. Now, they were both married, not to each other, but had families of their own. And the trip got awkward when there was a mistake in the scheduling. A train was full, and there was a glitch, and they put this man and woman together in the same room. Well, they said, what are we going to do? This is not right. We can't do this. And they discussed it and said, well, it's just for one night. It's really not that big of a deal. Inside the cab, there were bunk beds. And so the man took the top bunk. Woman took the bottom bunk. They turned out the light. They were ready to go to sleep. But after about 10 minutes, the man leaned down toward the woman and he said, hey, I'm kind of cold. Would you mind getting me a blanket? She looked up at him and she said, I tell you what, why don't we just pretend that we're married tonight? Kind of caught the man off guard, but he said, okay, sounds good to me. And she then said, so tonight you're okay with me pretending that you're my husband? He said, sure. She said, great. Get up and get your own blanket. The Continental Cable Company of Madison Heights, Michigan, had some trouble with their switching equipment, and it resulted in X-rated programming being provided in homes of people that did not subscribe to that. And the alarm was sounded by a customer, a scandalized customer, who called a local radio station and said, it was really awful. We saw it for four hours. <laughs> Some of you with hair the color of mine remember a comedian by the name of Flip Wilson. What was his favorite famous line? The devil made me do it. He'd all have all kinds of, of comedic 
situations, and he would say, the devil made me do it. Well, the truth is, the devil can't make you do anything as a Christian. And James has been dealing with the problem of testing. Now he's going to talk about the problem of temptation. And what's interesting is that in this first chapter, the word for testing or trials and the word for temptation is the same word in the Greek language, but the context gives us two different meanings. A trial is a test that God uses to make you stronger, to mature you. A temptation is a trap that Satan uses to make you weaker. A trial bolsters your faith, helps you grow in the Lord. A temptation batters your faith. So let's talk about, can the devil make me do it? Or basically, it's a a message about temptation. The first thing I want you to notice is the surety of temptation. It's a certain thing. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed. You'll notice in verse 13, it says, let no, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. It's written in such a way that a person is standing there passively about to yield to temptation, and they're saying, well, God put it before me. God is the one tempting me anyway. I might as well go ahead and do it. Testing makes us stronger. Dokimosh, we looked at that earlier in the, in the letter where we're approved by the fire, approved through the fire, sun judge. There's no flaw there. You grow in your testing. You grow in your trials. You mature in your trials. But temptation entices us to do evil with the promise that it's going to give us something that it really doesn't. It might be pleasure. It might be gain. But it never comes through. Peter Lord rightly said, temptation is the attempt to fulfill a God-given desire in an ungodly way. Now, I know I've given you a lot of notes today, so let me quickly go over some of these because I want you to see the difference between temptation and testing or a trial. Trial and test are the same thing. A trial will test your faith. Temptation will test your obedience. Trials test our faith. Temptations test our obedience. A a trial is part of the growing, maturing process. You go through trials and tests to help you grow. When you were in school, you took tests to help you retain what you were learning to be better, to better educate your system. But a trial, even though it comes, and, and a trial, even though it comes from God, sometimes it's not very pleasant, especially to somebody who's not keeping their eyes on God. But a trial helps us grow. A temptation is going to see if you're going to be obedient to God or not. Secondly, a temptation is usually something we find easy to do. Testing is usually something we find difficult to do. (laughs) If it wasn't easy to do, it wouldn't be a temptation. I mean, you're never tempted to do something you don't like. Testing comes that way. It's difficult. We don't like it. Testing requires a sacrifice on our immediate desires and impulses. But temptation focuses on, I mean, I would really like to do that. It appeals to me. The third thing, temptation is focused on self selfishness without a reference to God. 
Testing brings dependence on God and a deeper relationship. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he had not eaten in 40 days in the wilderness. And what's the first thing Satan did to Jesus? He said, you know what? How about a little bread? Wouldn't you like some hot bread? Have you ever met any hot bread you didn't like? And if you put butter on it, it's just over, isn't it? But he said he appealed to the flesh of Jesus. He appealed to the desire. You'd have to be hungry, not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. And, the, and Satan tempts Jesus to make bread. And basically what Satan is saying, you know what? You really can't trust God to come through for your needs. You're better off looking out for yourself. So go ahead and make you some bread. You can't trust God. Of course, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy uh, saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by and what he means is by, not by human means alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In essence, Jesus said God can be trusted too. The fourth thing, temptation exploits our weaknesses to our detriment. Testing exposes our weakness to be strengthened by God. We all have weak places. We all have Places that we can succumb, but tempting and testing have in common that they expose a weakness. But temptation takes our weakness and tries to draw us away from the things of God, where testing takes our weakness and teaches us to be more dependent upon God and to grow in Him. And either we're going to seek to fulfill our own needs and wants on our own, or we can choose to rely on God. And lastly, Temptation completed leads to slavery, to sin, spiritual immaturity, to guilt, broken fellowship. Testing completed leads to godly freedom, spiritual maturity, and open fellowship. You see, the difference between temptation and testing are the results. People who keep succumbing to temptation wind up feeling guilty all the time, and they don't grow closer to the Lord. When you go through a test, you've learned to depend upon the Lord. You begin to develop a deeper relationship with Him. You begin to mature, as James said earlier in the, ver in the chapter. You, you become mature and complete in Him. But temptation draws you away, and you keep growing out of fellowship. You, you keep going the wrong way. You, you've got guilt, and you even break fellowship with other believers. So, I want you to know you can be sure it's going to happen. Jesus said you, you're going to know people by their fruits, but when God tests us, we experience greater freedom if we follow His way. It's going to happen. It is not a sin to be tempted. Did you know that? Because Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. To be tempted is not sin. Now, you can be sure it's going to come. What is the source of temptation? Now, this is really important because there's a lot of people that have a, a problem here. In case you didn't realize it, man's always been in, the, been in the business of pointing his finger at someone else. It's not my fault. Let's go back to the garden. Eve ate of the fruit. Devil made me do it. Adam ate of the fruit. 
My wife gave me the fruit. <laughs> we've, been in the, we've been in the process of blaming other people all our life. Will Rogers said there's two great, you can summarize American history into two great movements, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. Because we try to blame everybody else. We blame society. I'm a, I'm a product of society. It's, it's all their fault. We blame the government. We blame, and they need to be blamed for a lot of things, but, we, but not, for the, not for your temptation. We, we blame the environment. We blame our hereditary. We, we, we blame our parents. We blame our spouse. We blame the devil. And some people even blame God. If, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be tempted. And even today you have people say, well, God made me this way even when whatever they're choosing to do violates his word. Well, I got some news for you. God didn't do that. In fact, James is real clear in verse 13. He said, when, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Hupo, directly. You're never directly tempted by God. He doesn't do it. Never comes from him. Don't ever blame him for the temptation. But also, it says, He's not even indirectly responsible. In verse 13, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. He's not even indirectly, oppo. Hupo directly, oppo indirectly. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. This is probably not the best illustration, but try to, to try to show you what I'm talking about. Let's suppose that Jerry Newman gets up here and sings a song that I do not like. So I get up out of my seat, pull out a gun, and shoot him right here on the spot. Okay, now the headlines the next day would say, music director shot by gun. Did the gun do it? No, I directly would have done it. The gun was indirectly involved, even though the gun has no power, period, but it would have been indirectly involved. That makes sense? James is saying God is not even indirectly involved in tempting you in any way. It does not come from him. And you'll notice the devil's not mentioned in this passage. So, What's the source? It says in verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The word drawn away is the holkamai. It's the same word used in John 12, 32, where Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. It speaks of an inward pull the desire to follow Jesus. Here he's saying we are enticed by our own desires and drawn away. We have an inkling to do something. We want to do it. So you see two things. It's a sure thing's going to happen. And the source is from our own, 
our own desires, our own lusts. And now notice the sequence of temptation. How does this, how does this work? The word, he's drawn away by his own desires or his own lust and enticed. The word lust there is not just a sexual connotation. It means any kind of desire that you have. But that's the first thing. We begin with our own desire, our own lust. You want to do this. He couples this with the words drawn away and enticed. And these are fishing terms. Fishermen. Drawn away, he's lured. The word enticed means ensnared. And the image is this. When you're trying to catch a fish, you're trying to get that fish to desire what you have, and you have a hook in it. And it's something that's attractive. It's something that lures him. Well, what lures you? Your own desires. You have them. All of our desires aren't the same, but you've got some basic desires. And that's what draws you away. I got amused at Kathy Zellers of Muncie, Indiana, who said, after my husband asked me to help him shed some unwanted pounds, I stopped serving fattening TV snacks and substituted celery. And while he was unenthusiastically munching on a stalk of celery one night, a commercial caught his attention. As he watched longingly, a woman spread gooey chocolate frosting over a freshly baked cake. And when it was over, my husband turned to me and said, did you ever notice that they never advertise celery on TV? (laughs) Why? You don't desire celery. Even when you're hungry, it doesn't do anything. Can I get a witness here? Yeah, yeah. Can't y'all wait for lunch to go get some celery? The secret to fishing is in the bait. I've got a lot of different kinds of baits at home in my tackle boxes. I'm fully convinced now that a lot of these baits that you see in these sporting goods stores simply catch fishermen. And if you're a fisherman, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've bought baits, you've never caught a thing on it. The right kind of bait. I've got a lot of different kinds of baits. Because some baits, you catch bass. Some you catch stripers. Some you catch catfish. Some you catch perch. And so forth. Different kinds of bait because those fish desire different things. What kind of bait does the devil use on you? Because I promise you there's a bait that gets your attention. Maybe more than one. Maybe a lot. He kind of knows your hot button. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what turns us on. He, he knows what we'll fall for. He, he hides the hook. And what's amazing to me is that sometimes I've tried to help people who are about to take the bait. Now, I'm not perfect. Don't misunderstand me. But if you see a friend that's about to go down the wrong path and say, don't take that bait, and they say stuff like, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. I got this. You don't know me. I know how far I can go. I I know I've got control of this. It's a desire that's strong. 
That's how it begins. Then they go to step two, opportunity. Enticement. An opportunity. James says when we're tempted, we're drawn away and lured by our own desires. We're baited by our own desires. And what we don't realize is that that hook is embedded in that desire. And once we have bitten down on it, we become snagged. It's there. There's an opportunity. Johnny was in trouble at school, got sent to the principal's office for putting mud in a little girl's mouth. His mom was horrified when she heard about it. And why in the world did you put mud in Margaret's mouth? He said, it was open. <laughs> Have you noticed that whenever you decide to do something wrong, the opportunity is there? Do you think that's a coincidence? Temptation is desire plus opportunity. Little boy scraped his chair across the kitchen floor, climbed up on it to reach the cookie jar. His mom heard the noise and said, what are you doing in there? With his hand in the cookie jar, he said, I'm fighting temptation. Well, you got a little boy who's tempted to steal some cookies when he wants them. That's the desire and has a good chance to get them and not be seen. That's the opportunity. It's not a sin to be tempted. But when you follow through, that's when it becomes sin. In fact, Hebrews 4.15 says, well, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Desire plus opportunity, then comes the action or the sin. It says when it's conceived, I don't have to tell you what conception is. When the seed and egg come together, it gives birth. Here it says it gives birth to sin. You take a mousetrap, the old kind, the kind that had the spring, Man, they've got so many different kinds, you don't know if it catches them or not. But the kind that had the spring, and you put a, a piece of cheese, or you put some peanut butter, or something that mice like, he sees it, opportunity's there, no one's looking. Then what happens? Sin. In that case, it brings forth death. Here's the opportunity. Here's the desire, the action. Nobody makes you do it. Can't blame anybody else. The devil didn't make you do it. But then the fourth part of that sequence is separation or death. Now, in the Bible, death is the word thanatos. Thanatos means separation. Obviously, when a person dies physically, their spirit separates from the body and goes to be with the Lord or goes to the place waiting for judgment. Now, for a Christian, we don't die spiritually when we sin. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, but we separate in that fellowship with God. It's, it's hindered, it's broken. Holy Spirit is grieved 
And for a Christian, it means separation from the fellowship of God. David illustrated that in Psalm 32, 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. We start to blame God. We start to blame other people. And guess what? People even blame the church. And so they separate themselves. Usually when there's a lot, they succumb to temptation and they keep on doing that. What's the first thing they separate themselves from? The fellowship of other believers. And then they start blaming God. Well, God, it's your fault I'm doing this or it's your fault I'm this way. So let's leave with something that we can use, the success over temptation. Verse 16 says, do not be deceived. Don't try to fool yourself. Don't don't take this lightly. So you first have to admit there's a problem. (laughs) And all of us have temptation. So what do you do? Remove yourself from the opportunity. Remember, we're tempted when we have desire and opportunity. So while we're working on changing our desires, we need to limit our opportunity. I've told you, I don't know how many times if you're trying to lose weight, you don't go into the ice cream shop and see what the flavor of the month is. Robert Orban said, most people want to be delivered from temptation, but would like to stay in touch. (laughs) I like what the old preacher said one time preaching to his congregation. He said, when you're looking at your neighbor's watermelon patch, brethren, you can't keep your mouth from watering, but you can run. Don't go there. Change the habit. When a little boy got in trouble, he came home. His mom said, you've been swimming in the creek, haven't you? And he didn't say anything. She said, I can tell by your wet hair. I told you not to go swimming, and now you're going to get a whipping. I couldn't help it, Mom. I was tempted and just couldn't resist the temptation. That's a likely story. He said, how come you took your swimsuit with you? He said, I took it along just in case I got tempted. Ask for God's help. There are some places that you need to quit going. Maybe there's something you need to quit listening to or, or some television show or movie you quit watching or you ask God for help. Jesus even taught us in the model prayer. He didn't say you had to pray this, but in that he said, you ask God and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It doesn't mean that God leads you into temptation. He's saying, God, deliver me from the evil one and the temptations that I'm about to come across. He told his disciples, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. In Matthew 26, 41, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you read in Genesis 39 about Joseph being in Potiphar's house, Genesis 39.10 says that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him every day, day by day. If you having trouble where your eyes go on your computer, put it where people can see it. Accountability is a good thing. 
There's an old Danish proverb that says, no one can be caught in a place he does not visit. Some of you remember hee-haw. Remember Doc Campbell? He was confronted by a patient. He said, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. Doc Campbell said, don't go to those places. Some of y'all won't get that till after lunch. I can tell by looking. Y'all think I can't see you going. Well, you can't regularly put yourself in those places and expect to overcome it. Remove yourself from the opportunity. David said in Psalm 101, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Job 31.1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Ladies, while I'm there, Please be part of the solution. I'm not blaming you for the problem. But just think about how you dress. You wouldn't want to tempt one of your brothers to thinking the wrong things. The second thing is you control your desires through the renewing of your mind, through the Word of God. What do you read? Most people just read what comes on their phone anymore. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about the armor of God, it says, And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you saturate yourself with God's Word, if you read it, (laughs) the psalmist said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan, what are the first words he spoke? It is written. He always quoted Scripture. It is written. And if you don't know God's Word, then you can't renew your mind. Dwight L. Moody had in the flyleaf of his Bible, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. Elmer Letterman said, if your conscience won't stop, you pray for cold feet. (laughs) Remove yourself from the opportunity. Control your mind. Garbage in, garbage out. God's word in, God's word out. The third thing is to to depend on the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit does not mean you've got to conjure up a bunch of supernatural power. Okay, Spirit, okay, Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living in you already. It's not an it, it's a he. He lives in you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
And the Holy Spirit guides you. When, whenever you're about to do something and there's a check in your spirit, most of the time, it's the Holy Spirit saying, wait, don't do this. Think about this. There's a hook in it. You have the power of God living in you. You're not dead anymore in your trespasses and sin. People without Jesus have died. They are separated from God. They are separated from God. And when they die without Jesus, they'll be separated from God for eternity in hell. But when you receive Christ and, and God forgives you of your sin, he puts his spirit in you. You're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He gives you the power. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Have an accountability partner. Talk to somebody you can trust that's a believer. Don't talk to a lost person. They're dead spiritually. They don't know. They can't give you any spiritual advice. You talk to somebody who's walking with the Lord and who can give you good, godly counsel to lead you to the Lord. You see, Jesus brings pardon from our sin, but he also gives us power over sin. He died that we might be delivered from sin. Sin is what caused curse in the world to begin with. Sin is what separates us from God. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, he washes you in the righteousness of Jesus and makes you right with him. You are now not separated from God. Those of you who have given your life to Jesus, you're no longer separated from God. You're his child. You're in his family. Nothing will take you out of that family. And one day when we are, when our spirit is separated from our body and we call it death, it's going home. It's where it's going. And one of these days, he's going to give us the new improved model of body. The highest point on earth, you know where that is? Starts with an E, ends with an S. Everest. <laughs> 29,000 feet. Now think about it. You fly in a jet at 30 to 35,000 feet. That's how high that is. The first man to scale Mount Everest was Sir Edmund Hillary in 1953. What a lot of people don't know is that the first time that he attempted to climb Everest, he failed, and he lost one of his best friends in the process. He returned after that failure back to England, and he'd gotten higher than anybody had ever gotten, and so they were going to reward him, and he got a hero's welcome in London, and there was a banquet held in his honor, and it was attended by the lords 
and the ladies and the powerful people of the British Empire. Behind the speaker's platform was a huge blown-up photograph of Mount Everest. And when Sir Hillary rose to receive the acclaim of this distinguished audience, he turned around and he faced the mountain and he said, Mount Everest, you have defeated me, but I will return and I will defeat you because you can't get any bigger, but I can. And Hillary did get bigger than that mountain and he did scale it. Every day you were faced with the mountain of temptation. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you can't overcome temptation. If you're just a religious person, you can't overcome temptation. But when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's power lives within you. So, Whose fault is it when you sin? It's your fault. But I've got some good news. God still loves you. God has not written you off. In fact, when you realize that you've succumbed to temptation, you've sinned, you come to 1 John 1, 9 that says, if I confess my sin. He, present tense, is continuously faithful. And, present tense, he's continuously just to continuously forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. When you mess up, you come to the Father and admit it. Don't blame somebody else. It was her fault. It was his fault. Lord, I sinned, and I want you to help me make, make me stronger. And so, Lord, I may need to change my path. <laughs> I, may, I may need to go someplace. And, and Lord, I, I trust you. I, I want you to fill my mind with your word. I, I, I depend on you, Holy Spirit. If you've never met Jesus, you can today. And if you know Jesus, you have the power of God in you. Use it. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus, that they need to be saved today. They, they are dead in their trespasses and sin. They've never received you, never committed their life to you. I pray that even today they would do that. And Lord, I pray for the believers in this room who are continuously battling the same temptation all the time or at least stumbling there. I pray you'll help them to change their path, to fill their minds, to depend on your spirit, to get an accountability person. Help them in that area. There are those who need a church. Lord, you know, this is just a hospital for sinners here. I pray you'll bring them. I pray for those that need to be baptized. But most of all, I pray for those that need to receive Christ as their Savior, that they might know how much you love them and can commit their lives to you even now. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 